Hey there, this is Dr. Erin Wiseman. I'm a fellow Dr. Podcast Network member, life coach, and mama three. I kick butt, I take names, and I help other high-achieving people do the exact same. And today, I want to invite you over to my podcast, Dr. Me First. It's well over 300 episodes, and each one is filled with inspiration and advice from amazing guests. So grab your wife, your mom, your sister, your best friend, and come tune in as we explore what it means to be a woman in medicine and a woman in this world. Because this podcast is a dose of everything that I needed when I was burned out, exhausted, and ready to quit it all. At the end of the day, I do this to help you feel more connected to yourself and to connect with others. I love to end my show with a kick of encouragement, so here's my favorite tagline. Your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See you over at Dr. Me First. Welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast, where it's all about serving the early career physician. Let's talk about the unique issues that face us so we can create a better future for ourselves and those to come. And now your host, Dr. Andrew Tisser. Hey everybody, it's Andrew and welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast. I am so happy you're here. For my returning listeners, welcome back. For my new listeners, you're in the right place because today, like on every episode, I'm bringing you the best guests from all around healthcare and beyond to discuss issues pertaining to the early career physician. This week, we're welcoming Jordan Savitsky to the show. ATC Alert founder and CEO Jordan Savitsky is a marketing professional that comes from a lineage of caretakers. After starting his career with Citibank's marketing, analytics, and advertising strategy team at MEC, Jordan spent four years at boutique private equity firm Cobble Hill Partners, where he eventually directed all marketing and business development strategy for portfolio companies. After leaving Cobble Hill, Jordan operated a portfolio company in the medical alert field, overseeing the addition of thousands of customers to their business. This led him to create ATC Alert, which continues to set quality standards in medical alert industry. Jordan is based in New York City and holds a dual degree in marketing and supply chain management from the Robert H. Smith School of Business at the University of Maryland. He also serves on the Young Leadership Council of APEC and is a board member of Home Run, an innovative powerhouse that helps bring bold Israeli companies and products to the United States market. Well, let's bring Jordan on to the show. Jordan Savitsky, welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you again for coming on here. It's uh, it's uh, nice to be able to have a cup of coffee and talk to someone bright and early. Um, yeah. So my pleasure, <laughs> Jordan. Um, I've pre-recorded a little bit about you for the listeners, but uh, in your own words, could you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Sure, absolutely. So, um, I uh, my my company is called ATC Alert. We've been in the emergency medical alert business for about five years and have grown into, uh, you know, amongst the largest companies in the industry that, that do that in the United States. And then uh, over the past two years or so, we've expanded into uh, remote patient monitoring, which is really um, an amazing program that was kicked off by initially by CMS, but has now been much more widely adopted, especially after COVID, which, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on. Um, but ultimately, uh, you know, I'm the CEO of the company and our focus is to help seniors live out their best days at home, but also with the best healthcare possible 
and, uh, and, and do so in a way that allows them to continue to live their lives the way they want to and not in an assisted living facility or a nursing home or uh, these places uh, sort of of the past. That's great. So not to be cavalier, but it, are we talking about the uh, I've fallen and I can't get up type thing or, or what? Uh, that is exactly uh, <laughs> how I described what we do to pretty much everyone that, that asks that question, which is everyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, uh, it is. Um, it's uh, emergency medical alert uh, services, you know, 24-7 monitoring with a panic button for, for seniors. And uh, honestly, it, it's you know, it's it sort of become a little bit of a cultural joke. Um, but, uh, but the matter of fact is that, you know, we get hundreds of, of calls a day from seniors to our monitoring center and, and we save lives every day. So it actually has a, a serious effect on, on people. Oh, no doubt. And as an emergency physician, I've seen, you know, I can't tell you the amount of cases I've seen of people that, that would have been dead if they didn't have a medical alert bracelet or some sort of remote monitoring system. So, um, all joking aside, I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing service that you provide for our seniors. Yeah, and we're we're very uh, you know grateful that we're able to do so. It's you know it's very it, it's pretty amazing to you know sort of open up you know uh, my monitoring center portal on a daily basis and and pretty much literally at any day at any time that I take a look at it, there is an event going on that you know could have been a somebody dying or you know, uh, seriously immobilized for the rest of their lives if, if they had not had the service. And so it's, uh, it's a very nice way to kind of every single day take a quick look and go, ah, that's why I do what I do. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, and also not only for the seniors, but also for the family members, just to give them peace of mind. Um, oh, that my God. Tremendous. To go wrong, you know? tremendous peace of mind and um and and frankly that's that's a huge selling point because a lot of the seniors um you know a lot of times they don't they don't really want it because unfortunately with you know the way that it's been marketed for uh forever with sort of this frail i've fallen and i can't get up uh, type type marketing it's sort of you know it makes them feel old uh, but the matter of fact is that you know it does bring that peace of mind and it really does save lives and so a lot of times it's, you know, how do we get, uh, how, how do we help adult children convince their parents that it's, it's time to have that? And usually the answer is, well, mom can continue to live at home, uh, you know, in her community with her friends and not move in with me or move uh, somewhere where, you know, where there's uh, 24-7, you know, nursing support, uh, but she can continue to live her life. And all she has to do is wear a little bracelet. And, uh, and, that, and that's very effective. Yeah, I agree. You know, this, this show is, is targeted at the early career physician, and we're going to get into kind of the changing landscape of COVID and telemedicine in a minute. But I think um, just the realities of uh, early career docs are generally generally start to have aging parents, right? So you get out of training uh, in your early 30s, and then uh, by the time you're 10 years out, your parents are probably in the stage where they would benefit from um, a remote alert bracelet. So I think just bringing this to the surface and, and talking about the peace of mind it can give um, people um, also applies to to docs early in careers. One less thing they have to worry about. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I mean, you know, it happens to be that my my sister and brother in law are both uh, are both physicians uh, that are exactly within that that age range that you're talking about. They're you know five years out of fellowship, you know, more or less. 
and um and they certainly, you know, everything that they look at is is towards the future and how things are evolving and what that means for them. Yeah, those are all great points, Jordan. Um, I think uh, we're going to start to talk a little bit about COVID. I mean, all people want to talk about right now is COVID. But let's look into the future um, as to the realities of the changing landscape of telemedicine um, as it pertains to the next five or 10 years. What do you see coming down the line? Sure. Well, you know, in order to effectively look into the future, you actually, we have to start by looking, looking into the past a little bit, um, which is really around 2010, uh, 2011, uh, when Obamacare sort of shifted the mindset amongst, uh, amongst payers, both government and private, from, you know, fee-for-service type care to, um, to value-based care. And it's it's taken a long time to kind of see that idea materialize in reality, right? You know, to actually see it, its its effects on, uh, on on medicine in general, and that really set the stage for uh, you know where we are now. And, and COVID was sort of the catalyst that kicked off finally after you know, 10 years or so of, uh, you know, everyone talking about telemedicine and it's going to be the future and, you know, but, but pretty much patients saying, eh, nah, I don't really want to do that. That's not my thing. Um, so COVID was, was, was really the, the, the perfect catalyst for the shift towards that. And now the whole future will, 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 will change because of it. And, you know, it's possible that, um, you know, in 20 years from now, uh, you know, regardless, we would have had a, a serious adoption of telemedicine and remote patient monitoring and all this stuff. Um, but post-COVID, the adoption rate, you know, people who never in a million years would have agreed to get on a computer and, and do a video call with their doctor, uh, now they look at it as almost inconvenient to have to go to the doctor's office. You know, they don't want to go to the doctor's office anymore. Why do that when I can sit at home and I can FaceTime with them? And I, th I think that the, the shift is going to be really dramatic. Um, you know, physicians' offices are still not, you know, near their capacity from where they were pre-COVID. And, you know, there, there, there's been a big lull and there was a bigger lull, but still continuing where, you know, uh, doctors who used to see a couple hundred patients a day now, you know, they can't fill their waiting rooms the way they used to. They can't run their, op their, their operation uh, like a, you know, I mean, so my, my sister, my sister's a retinal surgeon and, and she, you know, her practice, it runs like, like clockwork, you know, she could see like a patient every few minutes, literally, and see hundreds of patients a day. But that depends on having a ton of staff in the office, depends on, um, you know, being able to fill the waiting room with people. And COVID took, took away that ability from, uh, from these practices just because of restrictions on capacity and, and social distancing and all of these things. Uh, but, you know, now you're starting to see sort of the telemedicine side pick up significantly. And, and I believe that, you know, even within the next year, it may really start to overtake really in-person in visits. 
you know, you'll always have a need for in-person visits in medicine, right? I mean, there's certain things you just can't do over telemedicine. Obviously, procedures you can't do over telemedicine, but even evaluations, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you just can't do it over effectively over a video call. Um, but I think that you're going to sort you're going to sort of see um, a, a very big change in the breakdown of what people are going in for versus what becomes sort of standard procedure to do via telemedicine. And, um, and that'll have wide ranging effects on everything from uh, the size of an office that a doctor has, the number of examination rooms that a doctor has. Um, you know, it's, it's no different than in the private sector where, you know, a lot of companies are finding that their employees can work from home and maybe we don't need to pay a million dollars a month to have this humongous office in midtown Manhattan. You know, maybe we could pay a quarter of that and have a smaller office for some of the managers and executives and, you know, and for meetings and most people can work from home. I think it's going to be no different in the, in the medical world. I think that, uh, you know, you're, you're going to find that telemedicine for uh, many kinds of, you know, standard evaluations will become the norm. Uh, and then um, that, that'll sort of be a hard break from where we are today. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think from from both the patient and the physician's standpoint, <clears throat> people are shocked as to what they've been able to accomplish via telemedicine, right? Like like you said, even my father-in-law who doesn't he, he doesn't use the internet, he doesn't have a email address. He's gone to a couple of doctors visits via telemedicine and he was like, "Oh yeah, that was pretty easy." You know, and this is someone who is really technologically illiterate. Um, but he enjoyed it. And then uh, my wife's a rheumatologist who also in a million years never thought she could see patients via telemedicine, but has been uh, this whole time for, for the entirety of the pandemic. And sure, it would be it's going to be better to bring some of these people in to really get a good exam on them. But for a large amount of cases, it's OK. Um, now, as an ER doctor, I've kind of had to go to work. <laughs> but um, I think some some of the. Uh, I know some places have um, emergency telemedicine for like some of the prison system and whatnot um, in some of the more rural areas. So uh, there's adaptations really in almost every field um, to some degree, which is which is remarkable. Um, do you think there's uh, going to be continue from an insurance standpoint? Do you think we're going to see continued reimbursement or um, I mean, I think that's a big concern for a lot of docs is they're they're just not going to get paid. So, um, you know, I, I actually believe that that we will continue to see uh, reimbursement for, for these services because ultimately they they are a money saver. Um, you know, it, it sort of when you when you look at it at a at a micro level. OK, it, it's just additional expenses for, you know, whether it's Medicare, it's private payers you know, for a doctor to say, wow, I can get on FaceTime for five minutes with a patient, you know, sitting essentially at home and bill as if I went to my office and, you know, I'm paying all my staff and, you know, and have all this overhead and everything else. I can get paid the same thing or more for doing a televisit. Wow, that's unbelievable, but that can't last. I mean, there's no way they're going to continue to do that. But the matter of fact is when you, when you take a step back and you look at it from a macro level, it, it really is actually going to be, it's going to be a money saver for um, for insurance companies in the long run and improve people's health. Um, you know, a big piece of that is, is part, you know, something that my company does, which is remote patient monitoring. Um, you know, that 
is just a, a small segment of telemedicine, but is all about how do we proactively uh, monitor patients so that um, you know they don't end up having these very costly episodes of care that you know a can you know in a good case uh, possibly change and ruin somebody's life. You know they'll wind up in the hospital, they'll have to have surgery, they'll have to go to rehab, they'll they'll never be the same. Um, and you know and, and in the best case keep somebody, you know, uh, really healthy. And so, you know, again, when you look at it from a micro level, you go, oh my God, well, I can bill $200 a month, you know, for a patient that is just taking their blood pressure at home every day. Wow. I mean, you know, there's no way that's going to continue. I can make a ton of money on that. But, but then when you step back and you look at it from the macro level and you think about what it costs insurance companies and payers, if that person was not taking their blood pressure every day in a way that could be reviewed by the doctor and flagged if there's a problem. Um, you know, uh, the, the trade-off is a couple hundred bucks a month. And maybe if there's a problem, you can write them a script for a little bit of different dose of their blood pressure medication uh, that costs basically nothing to the insurance company. And by doing so, they can avoid uh, a million plus dollar episode of care that that patient is going to have. So. Um, so for providers, it will continue to be a moneymaker. It will be a profit center, uh, whether it's remote patient monitoring or telemedicine in general. For the payers, it's a big money saver, um, even if it doesn't seem that way as, as a physician that you know, is just getting paid more money than they were before because they have the ability to do this, if that makes sense. No, that's great. Do you link for your own um, remote patient monitoring? So do you link uh, like physician or other provider, like patient visits to the monitoring, or is it just strictly um, the data comes into the physician's office? So uh, the way that we do it actually is um, we, we sort of do everything turnkey because, you know, some, some elements of telemedicine are pretty simple and easy for the doctor, like a quick televisit on, you know, on FaceTime for five minutes. Um, but others like remote patient monitoring are much more uh, much more complicated and time consuming. You have to spend, you know, 20 minutes at least a month uh, monitoring the patient. You have to invest in equipment. You have to manage that equipment. You have to deal with patients calling up your office, you know, because they can't get the blood pressure machine to work, probably because they put the batteries in backwards, uh, you know, and just kind of deal with, with that stuff that's, you know, and it's a lot of time. And we, we've really, we've seen that firsthand from providers. So, we actually have our own clinical staff that work under general supervision of the practices that we that we work with, and um, and they monitor these patients. You know, every day they speak to them uh, consistently for at least twenty minutes a month. Uh, a lot of times, more than that. And then, uh, if there are any changes in that person's health, uh, based on their you know on the data that they're sending in every morning when they're taking their blood pressure, then my my clinical staff can alert. The, uh, the physician who can then take, uh, take the right action. But um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really about proactively making sure that patients continue at whatever their baseline health is um, and, and don't, uh, you know, don't, don't uh, stray from that uh, and to, to kind of head off anything at, at the pass. What do you say to the 
late adopters or to the non-adopters of the telemedicine space, you know, not to be ageist, but I think um, some of the older docs um, really continue to say that they can't uh, or won't adopt telemedicine in their practice. And this is just, you know, COVID was a blip on the radar and everything's going to go back to normal. So, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I, I would say that uh, I've certainly heard a lot of the sentiment from um, definitely from old, you know, older physicians or physicians that have been practicing for a long time and are sort of getting towards the end of their careers. Um, but what's funny is that there, what I hear all the time from from those types of physicians is it's not that they don't believe that patients will adopt telemedicine. And, you know, of course, there are people, you know, who say, oh, well, I just, I can't, I can't properly evaluate a patient, you know, over a video the way that I can in person. And, you know, and so, you know, it's, it, the whole telemedicine is garbage. Um, you know, I've certainly heard that, but more often than not, what I actually am hearing from them is they seem very nervous that adopting telemedicine is something that will wind them up in trouble. You know, that it's almost like, too e- it's like too easy and it shouldn't be this easy to be able to see a patient and get reimbursed for it. And, and they think that they're going to get flagged, you know, for like an audit. And, you know, I, I, I hear it all the time and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because I mean, these are programs that CMS is pushing really hard because they know that it's very effective for the health of the patient and also very, um, you know, financially effective for CMS itself, but for a lot of these older physicians, they're saying things like, oh, you know, I've been practicing for 30 years. I've never had any issues. Uh, You know, I'm only going to practice for two or three more years. I'm not putting myself at an audit risk by adopting this telemedicine thing. There's no way that this is going to, you know, be kosher. Uh, It's just too crazy to to think that, you know, we're going to get paid for for these types of visits. And, you know, I'm going to get, you know, OIG knocking on my door. And, um, and that's, you know, unfortunately, a lot of them have that sentiment. And, um, you know, even though it's really, it's really not true, you know, just like anything else in medicine, uh, if you don't do things properly, then yeah, you, you could be at risk of, of an OIG investigation. But if you do things properly, then you're doing things properly. And if uh, CMS or private insurers are saying, we want you to adopt telemedicine because this is the way of the future and this is how to keep patients healthier. They're not saying that so that they can entrap a doctor and go, oh, you did telemedicine. I got you. Now I'm <laughs> gonna, you're going to lose your license. And, and somehow a lot, of, a lot of doctors from that generation, they, they just feel like it's not worth it because, because of that perceived risk, no matter how much you tell them that um, that, that risk is not really, uh, does not really square with reality. Yeah, great points. No, I think I agree with you. I think it's here to stay, and I think I think that's a really good thing, honestly. Um, well, at this point, Jordan, I'd like to just shift the focus of the show a little bit to get to know you uh, as the guest. So, um, when you're not out there saving lives and changing the world, uh, what do you like to do for fun? Well, I uh, I love to ski. That is my sort of peace zone. Uh, actually, my favorite activity is taking business calls on the ski slopes <laughs> through my helmet. <laughs> really? uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I do it all the time, and you know, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's actually I really I really enjoy it a lot. It's it's uh, it's pretty fun. Um, so uh, I would say that that's 
that's definitely my favorite, uh, my favorite pastime. And, um, you know, uh, in general, um, you know, I, I honestly, I, I, I've grown up around, my family's been in the, you know, in sort of the medical, medical staffing and home healthcare business, uh, for my entire life. So I've, I've grown up around that and I've grown up around, um, you know, really, uh, the idea that, you know, you can do business, uh, but you can do business and make money, but also, you know, really change people's lives and help people and uh, have a serious effect on them. And, and that's sort of my guiding star. And so, uh, you know, while skiing and, you know, other activities are great pastimes, honestly, my, uh, my, my real uh, core uh, favorite thing to do is, um, is work and, and, because I know that everything I do is is actually affecting people's lives positively. Well, that's great to hear. I mean, I think in a day when everyone's trying to change jobs or change paths, having uh, someone who really believes in their own mission and, and loves what they do is is refreshing to hear. Um, do you have a uh, book recommendation for the listeners? Uh, you know, I, I do. I just read a book that was really amazing. I'm not sure how relevant it'll necessarily be to, um, to this listening base of mostly physicians, but I've heard a book called Traction that just totally changed the way that I, I thought about, uh, you know, how to hire the right people and properly manage an organization by making sure, you know, you have the right people in the right positions. And um, it, it actually really had, had a tremendous effect on, on how I run my business and, and how I think about that in general. Oh, I highly recommend it to anyone. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. I'm going to add that one to my list. Thank you. Um, well, I think we've uh, we've talked a lot on this show um, about telemedicine, about the future, uh, about uh, different aspects of how COVID is changing the landscape and realities uh, of medical life. But um, if you could uh, kind of bring your guiding principle down to one piece of advice for the early career physician, uh, what would you think that one piece of advice would be? Uh, I would say be really smart about looking, you know, three, five, and 10 years into the future, you know, and, and sort of plant the seeds that, you know, that you believe you need to plant uh, in order to make sure that, um, you know, you are properly set up for where medicine is really heading, um, you know, and I think that, you know, you'll start to see with kind of, you know, the, the younger, the younger population that are, you know, pre-med now, or, you know, they're starting medical school now. Um, you know, I think that that, that group of, of, you know, those cohorts of, of med students will have um, a, a pretty different education than even people who came out of medical school two years ago. Um, obviously, you know, the uh, medicine is medicine and, you know, that's not going to change. Um, but, but in terms of, uh, in terms of the business of medicine and, and telemedicine and all these, you know, te- this technology and how it's going to change things, I think that, uh, med schools will adopt to that and I'm sure already have. And so, you know, the people who are sort of, you know, in those early stages where they're already out of med school, 
but they're not yet, you know, a 15-year established practice that has a huge patient base and they're trying to build their careers, maybe their own practices. Um, they have to prepare properly for the future because the people who are 10 years ahead of them, um, they're already more set up because they have large patient bases already. And the people who are three years or five years behind them are going to have um, a different type of, of training to better prepare them for where, for where they need to be given the technological changes and adoption of telemedicine. So it's almost like the, the you know, these kind of five to 10 year out of, of, you know, med school residency cohort of physicians, they're the ones who are going to have to do it on their own. You know, they're the ones who are going to have to be the most sort of entrepreneurial and creative and, um, and, and really figure out where is this heading? And as I look to, you know, to work for a practice or start a practice, I'm a partner in a practice. How do we set things up so that we're not, you know, going based off of some old tried and true model because tried and true two years ago will not be uh, necessarily true in, in one year from now or even today. And so um, I would say to that population that you got to stay, you know, stay on your toes and, um, you know, almost be like uh, as entrepreneurial as possible and as creative as possible um, so that so that they can really uh, seize the market. And then by the time, uh, you know, the younger kind of med, med school kids, kids, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that's probably how, how, uh, how doctors think of people in med school. But, um, you know, once they're once they're out, they'll be looking to this cohort for um you know, for, for really guidance on, okay, well, we learned about how important telemedicine is and what this is supposed to look like in the future. And now we're going to look at you, Andrew, because, um, you know, because you're the one who's figured out how to really effectively adopt this and grow a practice that, um, you know, that runs like clockwork using all the technology that's now available and being adopted by patients. Yeah, that's great. Great points. And I think, yeah, there is a lot of opportunity here. And I think this generation is, uh, somewhat more entrepreneurial than the previous. So I, I think it'll be great, honestly. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the next five to 10 years bring. Um, yeah, they're, they're the trailblazers. That's it. That's it. And, you know, that's that's great. Well, medicine's been stale for a long time, so I think it's time to change. Um, Jordan, if people uh, want to find out more about you or your company, uh, where can they find you? Uh, sure. Uh, they can find us online, atcalert.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just my name, Jordan Savitsky. I, uh, you know, I, I love speaking to physicians, not, you know, not in a sales capacity, but, you know, just uh, as a, you know, in a learning capacity, you know, the more I know about their challenges and their needs and what they're facing, uh, the better I can be at what I do. Great. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. I really appreciate you giving all uh, all your advice and value to um, my audience here. Um, and I look forward to what your company is going to come up with uh, in the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me on and um, looking forward to um, to, uh, to seeing where this, where this goes as well. Because I really think that it's going to be um, kind of mind blowing when when we look back in ten. You know, even though we know now, you know, all right, in ten years from now, things are going to be totally different. Uh, in ten years from now, looking back, I think you know we'll go, wow, we didn't even have, uh, you know, uh, an idea of what this really would be like and how powerful 
um, you know, these technological tools uh, will, will really be to, to, to folks' health. And so, um, yeah, thanks so much. Before we end, don't forget to go hang out with my friend Aaron Weissman over at Dr. Me First on your favorite podcast app. What an amazing episode with Jordan Savitsky. I really enjoyed our discussion about remote monitoring, the future of telemedicine and incorporation into the greater whole of medicine, and his points about early and late adopters. That's all we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave me an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the show out there. The other thing I'd like you to do after listening is visit andrewtisserdo.com. That's Andrew andrewtisserdo.com, where I have a free four-part video series discussing my path through burnout to career satisfaction. As always, if you need any special help in regards to career strategy, career advice, starting a business or a side gig, please reach out to me directly, and I'd happy to give you some guidance. Till next time, everybody, keep talking. All opinions expressed by the guest in this episode are solely the guest's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Andrew Tisser Dio, TalkToMe.LC, or any affiliates thereof. The guest's opinions are based upon information he or she considers reliable, but Andrew Tisser Dio, TalkToMe.LC, nor any affiliates thereof warrant its completeness or accuracy. The guest, Andrew Tisser Dio, TalkToMe.LC, or any affiliates thereof are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided in this episode. The guest statements and opinions are subject to change without notice.